Hello and welcome to episode 340 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're here to talk about, uh, uh, speaking personally, probably the game that was one of my most glaring omissions from my RPG resume. And I, I don't think I've even talked about this in previous episodes, but I am playing Final Fantasy 13 for the first time for today's podcast. It is the only Final Fantasy game with a number lower than 15 that I haven't played. Uh, but I'm finally crossing it off the list, and who am I discussing it with for this month? Starting with Peter Treisenberg. Hi, uh, Peter Treisenberg, and today it is our focus to guide Michael through Final <laughs> Fantasy Thirteen. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that because <laughs> I'm gonna, I want to keep the tone of this show positive. Also, Audra Bowling. Hello. Uh, Peter and Audra, I just mentioned I'm playing Final Fantasy XIII for the first time, and uh, I'll, I'll go first in you know doing our usual thing of talking uh, about our backgrounds with uh, the video games that we play for our game journals on Retro Encounter. I, I did have a PS3 when Final Fantasy XIII came out, um, but I, I didn't get into it because there was a lot of negative buzz when it happened. Uh, Final Fantasy XIII had a bit of a troubled dis uh, um, development history. It came in late and uh, over budget. I think there was a, it was a part of a big um, planned pro multi-game project called Fabula Nova Crystallis, and they and the various games of that project. I, I don't think any of them, or at least some of them, didn't go their the their intended directions. Let's no, just pretty, say pretty much none of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, but so the, it was. From the very beginning announce first announcement, it was ambitious. And it uh I, I think it was I think it made money. Like it it was uh it, it was popular, it sold some copies, but the re the response was really mixed. And the the online crowd I rolled with at that time, this was I guess 2009, 2010, 2011, were a bunch of crusty old Final Fantasy VI people. Yeah, this, this was when I was staff on a website named after Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, right, Caves of Nurse, right? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. But but uh, so like I heard a lot of negative buzz from old school fans. This is a game that did, had no world map. It was uh, and um, did not resemble older Final Fantasies. Uh, it was. It had a really negative reception among my crowd, and even some personal friends that weren't in Caves of Narsh uh, didn't love it either. So I decided not to blow sixty dollars and just ignore Final Fantasy Thirteen for doing the math, uh, twelve or thirteen years. And so I, I did pick up a copy of it on sale some years ago. I don't even know when, uh, but I, you know, now was the exact right opportunity to play it, and now I am. I think halfway through, I'm I'm at the very beginning of chapter ten, but uh, but Peter, I know um because you have been at least on RPG fan one of the proponents of Final Fantasy thirteen and and have been maybe not banging the drum but but casually mentioning that uh, FF thirteen would be a great podcast idea uh, for at least a couple of years now. So uh, uh, first of all, is is that am I am I being fair in saying that? And uh, tell us a little bit about you and FF thirteen. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're pretty fair in saying that. Um, I haven't played this game since it came out. Um, I played it when it first came out um, in uh, 2010. It was actually the first game I played on the PlayStation Three. Um, I got it with my system, so I do kind of have a lot of fond associations of this game with being like one of the first like high definition games that I ever played. And to the game's credit, it looked gorgeous then, and it still looks gorgeous now. I do think it is a very flawed game. I don't hate it. 
as much as a lot of the Final Fantasy community did at the time. And I really do think that time has been kinder to this game than it has some other Final Fantasies and other um, early PS3 games from this era. So yeah, I'm excited to, I've been enjoying revisiting it and seeing how well it lives up to my uh, memories from my first experience. Now, uh, Audrey, your turn. Uh, Before we recorded, you told us that you you have played FF13 before, but never finished it. Is that right? Right. I just got to a certain point and then I think I got distracted by other things and just never went back to it. So I'm using this as an excuse to actually finish it and actually play it through from the beginning again, and I'm really enjoying it. It has some issues, and I mean, but I have a lot of friends who actually really enjoyed it as well, so I feel like I needed to give it a second chance. Yeah, and we will, we will definitely get into those issues, and um, I, I'm, I'm giving this game a first chance because I only really knew it by reputation, but when uh, we, the RPG fan staff, were, were picking the game for this month, it, uh, it, you know, it, it sort of won our internal vote. And when I announced it on social media a couple of months ago, uh, well, actually quite a while ago, because it was originally going to be a game that we played when I was taking a break from the podcast, uh, the, the reception was really positive. Like every, a, a lot of people that were responding to my tweet about it were really excited. So it, it had a more warm than normal reception to, it, uh, to its retro encounter announcement. So I think that Final Fantasy 13, I thought it had a negative reputation because of the bubble I was in. Well, well, there's a, you know, oh, I don't I don't want to say a, a secret group or anything. Not not like it's they're keeping a secret, but a lot of people do like this game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for a while, it was a lot of what Square Enix was doing, because, uh, again, uh, FF15 and Type Zero are all sort of connected to that Fabula Nova Crystallis project. And they made three of these games plus some some spin-off materials. So uh this is mm-hmm. a a unusually big chapter in like the in like the legacy of Final Fantasy, but I I don't think it's revered as much as the ones that I can that I think of as the fan favorites. Like I I think I think that FF13 is probably is less popular than all of the PlayStation 1 FF games for example. I would say that's a fair yeah. fair assessment. Um, I, I definitely think that popular consensus of for Final Fantasy XIII was very negative, especially when it first came out. I mean, I was there for a lot of that discourse at the time. Like Japanese games were having a really hard time adjusting to that generation of consoles, the cost of HD game development and all that. And so this was kind of a narrative that was going around a lot of the place. You have people like, you know, Phil Fish or whatever going around saying like, oh, Japanese games are dead. Um, And people were moving on to more Western made stuff. So then here comes Final Fantasy 13, a game which is kind of exemplifies a lot of people's common criticisms of Japanese um, RPGs at the time. You know, it's super linear. You have a cast of extremely colorful, oddly dressed folks with a, a story that has a lot of proper downs and terminology you have to learn to really make sense of it. Oh, yeah, geez. But playing a Tales of game last month and FF13 this month, <laughs> I, am, I am getting my fill of made up words for magic and spiritual beings. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah, no, no kidding. But I definitely think that time, like I said earlier, time, I think, has been a little kinder to this game because I think it does have a fairly dedicated group of people who really enjoy it. And I think it has been due for a second appraisal. Yes. 
I agree. Even though I um I did not know what kind of expectations to have going in because again the review the reception was so mixed and I almost always go into playing an RPG optimistically like I when I I'm playing a game and I'm going to spend a lot of time with a game I want to like it that that's almost always true and uh, and which is why I think when I do write reviews for the website my review scores are skew a little bit high but I I I think it's hard not to notice the flaws or at least the like um or or at least the odd choices in Final Fantasy 13. But, but let's just jump into the beginning. Um this game begins in media res. You, you it, it is an action movie opening. It, it makes you think of Final Fantasy 7 a little bit because it's a, it's about a uh, an, an explosion and a breakout on a train. But uh except in, the train's uh not transporting military or anything uh you're you're on a world called cocoon and you're being and they're undergoing something called the purge where uh because a certain area or group of people were tainted by an outside influence um the local military called uh i think it's called the the psycom yeah psycom are trying are basically exiling a huge number of the population to get so that the taint doesn't spread throughout the planet of cocoon and uh, and and we should say the taint comes from something called a pulse lacy. Again, here's falsy. a lot of problems. Oh, falsy. Well, yes, falsy. But pretty soon they're they're hunting down lacy because yes. All right, all right, all right. But back up we'll have, a second. We'll, we'll back, explain. We'll yeah, explain yeah. that momentarily. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of weird explaining in this episode. And and uh, listeners, if you're listening to this episode cold without knowing anything about FF13, this will be annoying and educational. And if you have, then well. You, uh, then you, you know you, our then, pain. Yeah, then you've <laughs> you've lived this. But so there's there's two planets or worlds, Cocoon and Pulse. Pulse, I, I, it feels like Pulse is a more natural world, and Cocoon is a somewhat manufactured, entirely like metropolitan yeah, world. It's is, a is, giant. It's a giant floating uh, Dyson sphere in the sky. Yeah, and the people inside the Cocoon sphere live in fear of influence from the outside world like ages ago there was a war they got attacked there's a lot of propaganda being pushed that's like oh yeah everything from the outside world is dangerous so when uh the time comes and they find out that there an, an elements from the outside world has been in cocoon and people have came into contact with it the cocoon government is like all right we're going to load you up. We're going to load up every single person who's come into contact with this thing and ship them off to the world for everyone else's safety. Um, and it's very quickly revealed that this is not in fact, um, they are not in fact tell, t- escorting people off of cocoon. They're just killing them. Yeah. They're, they're just going to either kill them or literally dump them off the edge of the world. But there is a feeling by all the people on that train that they're, that they're doomed essentially. And uh, but but just as you said, like uh, Cocoon is is like a satellite of Pulse, and there are beings called Falci, which are sort of like crystals slash gods, sort of big old mechanical gods. Yeah, and with with a lot of sort of crystalline, uh, like like vis- visual influence in how they're designed. The Cocoon Falci are basically worshipped on Cocoon. They're uh, they, like the the populace is aware that the only reason Cocoon can function is because there are several Falci supporting it. Um, mm-hmm. they, they even mentioned specifically that Eden is the name of the Falci that sort of manages the entire the, the world of Cocoon. There's a, yeah. uh, a Falci called Carbuncle that provides food and nourishment to a large part of Cocoon, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the, not all of it. There's The sun is Phoenix, quote unquote. 
like there's a lot of references to older Final Fantasies with these creatures. Yes, and and uh, and Lissy, which we mentioned earlier, are humans that have been chosen by Falci to perform a task for them. And so, if a when a human becomes a Falci, they're branded with Lissy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. When a human becomes a Lissy, the, they're brand, branded with a symbol on their body, and they're given a a quest called a focus that uh, is sort of the task that they must perform. And if they com- complete the focus uh, to the satisfaction of the Falci, then they are turned to crystal, which is uh, which and to be to be chosen by a cocoon Falci and turned into crystal is con- is is myth- mythologized somewhat and maybe considered an honor by the people of Cocoon, but to be done so by a pulse, let's see, a pulse Falci is basically to be cursed and ostracized and turned into a demon. And uh, and if you're if you if you if you don't complete your focus in a somewhat timely manner, then you're turned into a a zombie like uh, monster called a Seath. So mm-hmm. so so like Falci are extremely powerful beings. That uh, that are the, the managers and somewhat gods of the people of Cocoon and Pulse, but have but uh, because of the hundreds of years following the Cocoon Pulse wars, the people of Cocoon hate and fear anything from Pulse. So when a Pulse Falci arriving in something that's sort of like a spaceship, basically, like when, when yeah, basically, you're not wrong. Yeah, when, basically a Pulse Falci spaceship lands in part of Cocoon, it's treated as a disaster. And the game opens with a train of people that have been contaminated, quote unquote, by the Pulse Falci, about to be dumped off world, probably just ex- executed. So on one end of the on, on one end of the action, we have Lightning, um, who is a uh, a young woman that's uh, that's part of the uh, Cocoon military, but but not Psycom, a different Cocoon military the called the Guardian, Guardian Corps. Corps. Right. She's basically a cop. <laughs> yeah. Let's say an adult with Saz in his thirties. Would you say? Yeah, I thought Sass. he was 40s, maybe. How, old is, how old is Sass Katzroy? Because he's definitely the ad man. The, he's definitely the old man of the group, but RP, JRPG old man yeah. could, mean, could mean 27. He is 40. <laughs> he's 40? Okay. <laughs> all right. I was like, yeah. All right, that's good. My, my guess would have been 36, but I think that's probably just because I'm 36 and I identify with Sass a lot. <laughs> He uh, is he is magnificent, but we'll get into him. He, a he is. Yeah, Saz is the lethal weapon, Danny Glover of this movie. Uh, Mister <laughs> of, of this game, um, because because he is too old for this stuff. Except Danny Glover didn't say stuff. Uh, um, but and, and I guess that would make um, Lightning the uh, uh, Lightning the. Well, I can't think of his name. Um, Mel Gibson. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The Mel the Mel Gibson, <laughs> oh, of his no. game, which is not, which is definitely not fair to Lightning. But uh, <laughs> Lightning's gonna start screaming yeah. at Snow about a bunch of expletives. Yeah. So so uh, so Saz and Mel Gibson are on this train, and uh, and Lightning is basically stages a dramatic a, a dramatic attack to busting out of the train, and Saz realizing that Lightning is a very capable fighter sort of tags along. I don't think they really knew each other before. But before um, before they boarded the train, uh, but and so we we know that on one train, Lightning and Saz are getting into some business. But uh, meanwhile, on a different part of uh, of Cocoon, there are a group of people that have been marked for uh, quarantine slash uh, departure slash execution, <laughs> and uh, and uh, they, but they're uh, but they're fighting the Psycom soldiers and on what basically looks like a war zone. 
and they're led by a man named Snow, who is at least six five and has a giant knit cap that that rests that stays perfectly on his head at all times. Um, and uh, the, and with several of his uh, of his buds in a group in in a little freedom fighting unit that he calls Nora, and uh, there's two teenagers that are in the group that are being protected by Snow, and their names are Hope and Vanille. Uh, Vanille sort of immediately uh, meets Hope and is trying to reassure him because Hope is pretty stressed out by this whole thing. Although although I don't I don't think they knew each other prior to uh, this purge going on. And nope, she just sort of latches onto him like a, a, a moray eel. Yeah, yeah. She she's a she's a remor like like a remora sticking to the bottom of a shark. Mm-hmm. But Vanilla uh, is also Vanilla is also the game's narrator, so she yeah. does sort of immediately make her presence known. It's like, oh hey, I am going to be capital I important later. <laughs> yeah, and basically at the beginning of every chapter we get Vanille in voiceover talking about how she felt during a certain time, which is unusual because usually the, the tone of those narrations is quite somber, but Vanille herself in game has she a personality. Yeah. Yeah. She's aggressively sunny and positive, which is, mm-hmm. which is, you know, you, you eventually learn and it is hinted that, that it's sort of a front, but yeah. uh, I, I, I think, wonder. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I think that, like the attack on the, the uh, on the train and uh, what's going on on the on the sort of corridors or highways that Snow is fighting on, I think that's supposed to be day nineteen or twenty because throughout the first several chapters of the game, there will be flashbacks to the events of what was going on um, at, after the uh, after the the Pulse Falsi arrives on Cocoon. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, but like day ten. You, uh, Snow proposes to his uh, fiance Sarah, or like I want to like, say it's I want to say it's day thirteen because like oh, okay, the, sure. the big build up is like yeah, and Square's big on doing. Oh that. yeah, like, oh, and there's thirteens everywhere. Yeah, okay, of course yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and and Vanille's all like you know the thirteen days after we awoke and all that jazz. But yeah, Lightning uh, and Saz bust off the train, fight a giant robot scorpion, and take off. Snow and his crew are fighting against Psycom, and they're all kind of working towards the same goal is in that they are looking for Lightning's sister slash Snow's fiance, Sarah, who came into contact with the Pulse Falci and is currently still inside the Falci ship. So that is our goal at the beginning. And um, so that's where they're headed. But on the way there, Snow... Uh... Um, this is this is you know happens remarkably early. Uh, Hope's mom dies in front of him. She uh, she uh, her her name is coincidentally also Nora, but she uh, uh, she picks up a gun and fights alongside Snow and his friends, and sadly uh, and, and sadly is shot and takes and then takes a very very long fall to her death right in the game's first thirty minutes. Can I can I just say though? Can I just say? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, she gets shot and then takes a long fall. However, Snow also takes that long to fall, and he's just fine. Um, I'd just like to <laughs> point out. I'd just like to point out that whether or not you have anime physics superpowers entirely depends on whether or not you're a main character in yeah, this and, universe. And, and, and several chapters later, they he all he falls off a skyscraper while protecting Hope and lands flat on his back and survives that. So Jack, he Jackie chans his way through a bunch of building facades and then atomizes every vertebrae in his spine. But no, he's fine. 
Yeah, no, it's like the scene in Dark Knight Rises where the doctor is talking to Bruce Wayne and going, uh, Mr. Wayne, you have no cartilage in your body. Like, like, yeah. like, 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 like snow, snow should be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But no, it's like he, he it's it's like in an anime. Oh, no, he'll just uh, he'll just be on have bandages on for one episode and then he's look, fine. Look, snow drink, drinks his milk every day and his bones are indestructible. <laughs> Yes, and there's a reason he has the highest HP in the party in in, uh, in combat. But and, but anyway, so Hope's mom dies in front of his eyes, fighting alongside Snow, and uh and but Snow is able to very quickly move on because he has he has his fiance to save, and uh and I think a lot of other people in Snow's group die, uh, die um from the Psycom forces not long after Hope's mother dies. So Snow rate races off to the Falci ship. Well, separately, Lightning and Saz are, are going to the Falsy ship, and Hope decides he needs to confront Snow and demand he demand satisfaction for the death of his mother. So he uh, steals one of the Psycom bikes. Vanil like goads him into riding on with with him, and Vanille and Hope chase after Snow. And the end result is after quite a bit of fighting, um, Snow, Hope, Vanille, Lightning, and Saz all meet Sarah. She like looks, she like looks at all of them crying. She's, she's happy to see her sister and her fiance. And then she, she says like, she says something like, uh, you have to save cocoon and then immediately turns into crystal. So the foul, the, the pulse. Okay, so yeah. The, the, the pulse falsy that branded her and made her and made Sarah a Lissy decided that her job was done at that moment. And uh, and you you uh, and out of rage, lightning and snow immediately fight the the uh, the the pulse falci, which is called anima. So like maybe related to the FF10 uh, Eidolon. Maybe somehow, but it's yeah, just I just right. think it's great that like they are immediately just like okay, time to go kill a god. We are in <laughs> chapter two. <laughs> I don't know if they kill the god, but they definitely at least annoy the god. And their end result is that everyone in your group there, all five of them, are made into Lissy's. Uh, themselves so they and and they have a shared vision of a monster doing something on cocoon but it's a little bit unclear what's going on and so they uh, so there's a big explosion of crystal light and they land in an area that i think was a lake but it is now entirely covered in ice or crystal because of the uh because of the falsy explosion and all of them see their brands and they uh, and they all have various degrees of meltdowns um uh, like, uh, again, Vanille's keeping a, bra- a very brave face. Snow seems only concerned for the well-being of the now crystallized version of Sarah. Uh, Saz is having an existential crisis because, you know, he- having lived on Cocoon his whole life, he he believes that uh, he's that that now he's cursed and doomed and is now the eternal enemy of of the home he's known his entire life. It's it it, it, it it's it's a lot uh, that they're all it's dealing with. It's a lot, and I think it is a really interesting um, dilemma that they find themselves in. Um, I actually think the concept of Lassie in general, like, you know, being getting these superpowers from these mechanicals entities, uh, being given a task by them and and bra- literally branded with, by it, is a really interesting setup for a story. And I think the character, all the characters going through different... Um, grief-stricken reactions to this new reality is actually a very very compelling uh hook yeah it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a twist on say what happens at the beginning of final fantasy 5 where you uh like uh you, the the heroes come together they find a crystal 
and they're tasked by the crystal to save the world. And and this is like a a, a weird darker version of that where mm-hmm. the, the crystals are living entities that can be uh, that 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 are you know could be motivated selflessly or selfishly. And as some of some Falci are definitely straight up evil that will and we'll mention them later. But uh, instead of being tasked with the quest to save the world, they they have to do what the crystal tells them, or 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 else they could be turned into a, a mindless monster. Because you 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 fight you fight a couple Seeth early um on the way to Anima, they're and they're basically yeah, they, zombies. You don't want to be a Seeth. They make it immediately clear, like oh yeah, th- these are the consequences. Like if you guys screw this up. Um, so it's no wonder that everyone is kind of react like acting out in various ways. Um, and and this is another this is something that I remember being another very serious a very point of contention against thirteen um, back when it came out is that yes this game has a lot of melodrama there is a lot of angst there are characters who are feeling their feelings and they are not afraid to let us know about it let let's let, let's talk about the five characters that we've been introduced yeah. now to now so far um lightning is somewhat aloof and gruff but definitely cares about her sister and is and is very mission focused you could say she is the cloud slash squall of this game you know I, I don't think she suffers as much as cloud and is not quite as openly uh like disdainful of her teammates the way squall is i i, I don't i don't i don't, I don't know man. <laughs> I, I but but she but she's she's up there and um i i, I think it, it, she warms to the rest of the team but it but it takes time she's she's a yes. bit of a she's a bit of an ice queen which is ironic because snow is the one that's able to summon an ice queen yeah um and and snow uh bless his heart snow um does not have two brain cells to rub together his only <laughs> his only personality traits are angry and i love my fiance no. Um, Snow is the ultimate wife guy, and you love to see it. Yeah, uh, I, I again, he he is a big doofus, but is all, but is also like he has a very simple black and white notion of I want to protect my fiance and I want to be a hero. So he is probably takes be- becoming a, a lassie in stride the most because when uh, when um, it flashes back to a couple days before uh, the event, um, Sarah tells him that she came into contact with the Falci and is now a Lassie. And he's he's shocked and, like, collapses on the ground for a minute or two, but then immediately runs over to Sarah and says, I don't care if you're a Lassie. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to help you complete your focus, and we're going to... And, and everything will be all right. And yeah, Honestly, get, get you a man as supportive as, and himbo he is now. Yeah, yeah. And Lightning is an independent woman who don't need no man, and Snow is... A, a slightly codependent man who is very good for, good to his woman. So it's those are they are not the same character, Lightning and Snow, even though they, even though they, they both describe natural phenomenon. It also has helped for in Snow's case, I think that he's voiced by Troy Baker, who is just a phenomenal actor, and I think really manages to give his character a lot of humanity. Even though, again, like we mentioned, Snow is kind of dumb, like. <laughs> He's just he managed. They, I think I think it's the voice performance that really elevates him. And 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 Troy Baker is a great voice actor. And this is after Troy Baker like voiced Kanji in Persona Four, but before mm-hmm. he was one of the leading man men that you would just see in absolutely everything. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm a little bit amused that Vanille is voiced by Laura Bailey, and uh, Troy Baker and Laura Bailey would be Batman and Catwoman in the Telltale Batman games. So I'm I'm playing mm-hmm. this going like, oh, sweet, I got I've got Batman and Catwoman on my team. 
Yeah, um, right. Like, but uh, yeah. the uh, but like, this is I think before Troy Baker was a real, real A-list voice actor, but is but is definitely definitely doing great work here as Snow. But uh, moving on a little bit, we have Saz, who is uh, who who um, you know is a is a black person with a very handsome afro and an adorable chocobo chick living in the afro, which is. I don't know, like, <laughs> which is definitely a visual choice. But his attitude is that Imagine he how is... bad this man's hair smells. Yeah, <laughs> and none of them change clothes throughout any of this. And I don't know if any of them are taking showers in this game. Like, they all probably smell bad by the time they bust out of prison in Chapter Nine. But, uh, but, but, uh, Saz, he feels like the most normal ass man in this whole crew because the whole time he, he because he's like, man, I'm too old for this. I, I'm kind of tired. I just want to know if my son is okay. Like, wh- wh- why you you people are all insane? Why are we making these uh, decisions? Like to to become terrorists? Like he is he is questioning the mission more than basically anyone else. But it's still, but it, but it's still you know when he's traveling with Vanille for a large part of the game, he uh, he's mm-hmm. he's he's you know he's supportive. He's trying to be he's trying to be a good teammate, even though he's he has a lot of doubts clearly. Mm-hmm. And then um. He wants to be the responsible adult. Yeah, he, he wants to be a responsible adult and try to and and try to you know do the right thing. I, I sincerely believe that, even though, even though he, I mean, he doesn't always make the best decisions. We'll talk about that soon. And uh, speaking of Vanille, um, she has a very bubbly, very positive personality. Uh, we we know from the narration and how she reacts to certain words and situations that she knows more than she's letting on. But uh, but you know she she's mostly along for the ride and i think she does care about the team probably more openly than than anyone else here and uh then you have hope um i uh, he, again he harbors a, a a deep vendetta against snow for what happened to hope's mother and he's uh, the youngest member of the group i think he's 14 or 15 when every when uh, yeah. light, lightning snow and vanille are all in the 18 to 21 he range he isn't he is an actual child he's an actual child he has a lot of grief and angst and unfair circumstances uh, thrust upon him, but he also whines a lot and doesn't and and doesn't listen to the adults until uh, until he you know develops some kind of savior like feelings towards lightning. So I He's I was typical teen. Yeah, but I I also am on the record as really not liking ch- uh, young children characters and casts of adults. So hope was <laughs> hope was definitely my least favorite teammate personality wise at least for the first seven chapters can i can i can i quote you can i quote you for a second sure you 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 may you may quote my social yeah. media i think i know but, what you're gonna say yeah so so, so, so at, at, at me on twitter i wish hope had died instead of his hot mom <laughs> <laughs> i did i did say that and uh at, at the time i was i was in chapter four or five and i meant what i said yeah and, and i'm over here like be nice to the baby he gets better um, I, I, I actually do. Well, I think Hope is probably, yes, he definitely starts off as probably the most obnoxious character in the party. I think he does have a very legitimate arc. I like mm-hmm. the fact that he kind of grows up. Um, and so I think that, again, I sort of cut him some slack because he is like a child who saw his mother killed in front of him and is sort of acting out because of it. And I think that is fairly realistic character writing, even if it is still kind of hard just waiting for him to get over it. 
right? Well, okay, well, realistic character writing in a world that has Lissy and Falsy and Seath and Eidolons and all, hey, they all do that. Their I mean, best. I, yeah, and I, I, I understand. And I'm, I'm being a little, <laughs> I, I'm being a little facetious here. And it, it, it is true that he is, he is, he is supposed to be an angsty teen dealing with a lot of feelings at once. And uh, and and his behavior is consistent with that. That doesn't mean I like him for it. I mean, oh, I, I, I I already don't like teens and child characters, and they oh, and this one is an unusually angst, accurately angsty ch- teenager. It's like no thanks. <laughs> like, I also, also, I, I forgot about this. Is this is referring a YouTube a YouTube review from like ten years ago? But I forgot the zero punctuation was right all along. I forgot that Hope actually does pull a boomerang out of his pants. That's right. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, like his weapon is a boomerang, and whenever and then and then, um, whenever a fight ends, he just shoves that thing into an invisible pocket where his butt is. And I'm just like, where are you keeping that? Yeah, like they probably put millions of dollars into Lightning's hair falling over her with one st- with like one weird side pony of it falling perfectly over her left shoulder at all time, and the scabbard of her sword dangling realistically um, beneath beneath her waist, and uh, and and also a half ribbon cape flowing perfectly behind her but they couldn't like give hope pants with pockets like really it's like come on like, or give him a little strap for his boomerang or something like yeah, Saz, yeah. Saz has yes, gun Saz, holsters. yes yes Saz has normal holsters for his reasonably sized pistols and you can see uh fang's spear on her back in a reasonable way and uh um amusingly snow's weapon is his jacket when <laughs> but the yeah. lovely yo-yos actually yeah. have a like oh, yeah. they yeah. fold and she puts them behind her. I don't yeah. know what Vanille's weapon is. It looks like she broke a candelabra in half and <laughs> then and, and then like spider <laughs> silk yo-yos. comes out comes out of it's, it's yeah, it, it's yo yo it's like a it's it's like yoga yo-yos coming off of a Hanukkah menorah. <laughs> we're gonna get into how Fang and Vanille have big and they were roommates energy. Yeah, um, and uh, we well, should also talk about how Vanille's starting weapon is called a binding rod. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I think it's supposed to be like a top confirmed. I think it's supposed to be kind of like uh some of Garnet's weapons in FF9, like like a rod that has unusual properties for her physical attack. So like it's almost like a fishing rod, but it's but it's a but it's a, a an oddly shaped tree branch, or or she just like or she like whips it, whips it around or something. Yeah, and one time she like casts it at a medium sized dragon and is able to hold it in place for a minute, which seems unrealistic because her uh, because I mean her arms are about as th- as wide as bamboo poles, and when she runs, she swings them back and forth like she's just like she's a gi- giraffe baby giraffe learning how to walk. <laughs> The, 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 this is the 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 over animation in this game drives me batty sometimes. It's it's like uh, like like uh, I forget what his name was. I think I think it was Godot actually. One of uh, yes, one of Snow's goons at the beginning of the game. His uh, his battle stance is so low to the ground that like his ass is underneath his knees, and they and like like they just have such exaggerated movements and poses in battle that sometimes it's, it's like they're they they're going for a certain. 2010 square enix stylishness that i sometimes like but sometimes i roll my eyes but because th- these are over the top <laughs> animations and designs they really are it works for vanille though because of her the undercurrents of her personality mm-hmm. where she's kind of making a lot of the exuberance and everything. oh yes especially in chapter six with like the bubbly j-pop is playing for the the sunlift waterscape and she's running around with her arms by her side kind of like skipping and it's just like this is so happy yeah, this is and so colorful like, oh. and <laughs> yeah and um 
I want to talk about the dungeon design soon, but just to, just to cap off this character discussion, I, like I, I can definitely understand having a least favorite here. Like I found, I found first half hope the most annoying, but Vanille's ma- uh, bubbly mannerisms are pretty annoying. Lightning is, is cold bordering on openly hostile. Snow is a giant dumbass That is definitely annoying. Like, like, like I, I'm sh- anybody could have a least favorite member of the cast and I could, and I would totally get it. Like, and, and I mean, Square Enix is not is not great at portray- at portraying non-whites in the best of times and and Saz while I don't think his the tone of his character is bad it, it's still a choice having you know a, a a character with an afro and I think him and his son might be the only the the yes. only the only black people on <laughs> yeah, the, cocoon the, yeah the only black people on cocoon or like the Thane every- is ambiguously tan <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I I did a little bit of research about this. Um, uh, uh, Fang and Vanille are both from the same place. Uh, we, we can we can say it now. They're from they're from Pulse, uh, and they have Australian accents. But in the uh, in the Japanese version, they have thick Okinawan di- dialects. And Okinawa is a Pacific island that is its that is was is its own prefecture within Japan. Um, they, Interesting. They con- yeah, they 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 conquered it like 125 years ago or something. Themes. Uh, and, but uh, and but um, Okinawan people are considered dark-skinned for japanese because they're they're you know like in but they're they're like in between what you would consider uh, a a traditional japanese person and a pacific islander so they're like having having fang be tanned with an okinawan dialect makes sense sense for a japanese game to a degree but uh but but yeah they, they translated okinawan uh dialect to australian accent which is kind of like how 20,000 games and RPGs translate a uh, Kansai dialect to a Brooklyn accent. And I think I like this new version better. When you think about it, it's the land down under. Oh, oh man. Oh, wow. Oh, we men at work wow. now. We are men at work now. <laughs> that That is inspired. Good job. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so uh, Final Fantasy Dundee, or 13, um, <laughs> con- continues... Uh, basically, Saz isn't sure he trusts Lightning anymore when he like uh, because Lightning des- decides that the right move is to is is to um is to fight the Sanctum directly. The Sanctum is the governing body of Pulse. Um, and uh, and but Hope thinks that Lightning is the most capable person here, and he still wants to get after Snow. So Hope follows Lightning one way, Saz goes another way, and Vanille tags along with him. I think maybe out of concern, but it was unclear what Vanille's motivations are at this point. While Snow stays behind with the crystalline body of Sarah, trying to dig her out of the crystal bed that she's in, and he's picked up by the military shortly after. So this is Which is also where he bumps into our sixth party member. Oh Fang. yeah. Fang is the best character in this game. Oh, I full stop. Fang is awesome. I, I am on I am on the record in multiple podcasts that I love a badass warrior woman type. And Fang absolutely is that, and Lightning is like eighty percent of the way to that. So uh, where I am in the game now, I don't think either of them is ever leaving my party. I have my main commando <laughs> oh, yeah. and my main ravager right there, and the third party member is going to be, you know, do I want haste or shell or or debuffs or snow is going to be the, the that final decision. Um, but uh, and now we're uh, let's go into the structure a little bit of this game because here's where I have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. first of all this and ev- everything that we've discussed so far which is you know uh generously the first six chapters they are all single path dungeons with map layouts 
no more complicated than Quest 64. Just one path with occasional alcoves for a treasure chest. And mm. there is very little or no like in NPC interaction. Like like there's there is never a point where you can stop and there's no point where you visit a a village or or, or talk to people. All NPC yeah. dialogue is just playing in the background. You actually have to turn on subtitles for it. And it's not something um, you can ever like just go up to press X to talk to this person. It's always, they're basically just part of the background environment. There are a couple places where you press X to talk to someone, but it's, it's to like, you know, initiate dialogue for moving the story along, but you don't get that until like chapter nine. And when it happened, I was a little shocked because there, what there hadn't been any of it for the first 15 to 20 hours of the game. And a lot of this, so 13's linearity is really the biggest strike against it. And I can totally see this is an, this is a criticism of the game that I think holds water and was, has been widely commented on. Um, a, f- a few years ago when we were doing, um, we were doing a big Final Fantasy um, blowout feature for the site. That was the I, end of that was the end of 2017, and we we recorded like five pad podcasts and uh, and like 20 written features. It was out of control. It was intense, yeah. So my contribution to that was I act, I did a, a a bit of a, a deep dive into 13's development using um some I, I I found the game's postmortem, which is very public. It's a very public document. You can find that and read that if you are interested. And then I was able to find some scans of old Electronic Gaming Monthly issues that had had some very interesting early um, interviews um, and speculation about the game. Because this was a time when Square was being very tight-lipped about this game. And it turned out the reason they were being tight-lipped about this game is because they literally had nothing to show. This game was developed on Square's in-house Crystal Tools engine which is notoriously hard to develop for. It was designed pretty much to create very, very pretty environments, but they had a really hard time making an actual game out of it. This is this is the engine that 14 1.0 would later be developed on that um, all of the 13 sequels were made for. And, uh, and basically, for the most part since then, uh, the uh, Square has mostly been working in Unreal Engine or mm-hmm. or, or just better designed tools. The, the development they have, of this they game... Have another, they have another in-house engine for 15 and for Forspoken, but that's also been a development nightmare. Like, right, and, and uh, but... But, but yeah, this this game has beautiful environments. Like that that Crystal Lake area, mm. that's chapter three, is gorgeous. gorgeous. And uh, chapter yeah. chapter five, I think you mentioned it a little bit, is this really beautiful, serene sort of jungle area that gives way to a sort of a hills and rivers area. That, that's oh, yeah. that's just beautiful. In and, general, I love this game's aesthetic design. Like, but 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 chapter eight, when Saz and uh, Vanille are in a big city. That that is a little bit like a party city, like a, like if there's an amusement park and a casino or something in it. But there, there there's there aren't NPCs to talk to. There. There's nothing to do. It's, it, it, it it's a huge city area that should have activities and side quests, but there but there's it's empty corridors, which is weird for a Final Fantasy game. And even some of these areas, like the Gapra Whitewood, is described if you read the game's data log, which is where a lot of the background information on this story is. Sadly, um, you do have to do a lot of reading. Um, but that area is described as being a maze of corridors that is made di- purposefully difficult to navigate 
so as to confuse intruders. And I'm just over here like, oh, is that why it's a single clearly lit path? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a weird cyberpunk forest with like silver trees in it where they where uh, the military breeds bioweapons and does experiments. But al but also you're like, it's a linear path and you're sort of going along the same. It's like, oh, it's hexagonal treetop to hexagonal treetop, which are basically just platforms connected by bridges of light. It's, it's like, like you can tell... Uh, either corners were cut or some hard decisions were made to make this game oppressively linear. You can't also go back to previous chapters. There's a, and uh, all of the all of the shop interaction is done through a uh, is, is done through save points. Save point. Yeah, and uh, a lot uh, of that and, and a lot of that is really because like um, thirteen people say like okay, it's because thirteen is a bunch of art assets that were slapped together at the last minute. Well, it's like it's kind of what it was. Um, they, uh, a court, by the developer's own admission, they did not have a clear idea what this game want, was going to be until the higher-ups at Square basically told them, We're gonna, you're going to ship a demo with Advent Children Complete, the, the director's cut of the Final Fantasy VII movie. And that demo came out about roughly, I want to say, nine months before the game's final release. So when people are like, okay, 13 had a development cycle of like four or five years. No, it had a development cycle of nine months. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird. And, um, and while I'm talking about things that I didn't appreciate about FF13, these middle chapters, um, you're a team of two for so much of it. And yes. I, that, that, that really cripples you. Because this, let's talk about the combat system a little bit. Um, this game technically has a job system that you don't get until you uh, defeat that anima boss, uh, the, the, the Falsy crystal thing. But uh, there are six jobs total. Every character can equip three of them. And uh, basically, the jobs are uh, Commando, which is a physical attacker. Ravager, which is a magical attacker. Sentinel, which can't attack but has a lot of defensive skills. Um, Medic, which is your healer. Saboteur, which is like en enemy debuffs. And Synergist, which is party buffs. And every character has three of those jobs, but you can rapidly switch them in battle. To have to, for the best combination for a given situation, you can save loadouts of different job combinations called paradigms uh, to, to make that as easy as possible. But you only control one character at once, and you can control what they do perfectly easily. Like like you can target everything you can possibly target, but the other two characters in your group, up up to three, um, basic they, they will always be AI, but the AI is pretty good. Like they'll attack mm -hmm. like certain paradigms will always yeah. attack the same uh, target as you. Some will always at will attack random targets. Um, uh, but the, there's a hierarchy of, of the debuffers and buffers or synergists and saboteurs um, of, of like what skills are best to use first. If you have an enemy scanned and know what their weakness is, the uh, your attackers and buffers will always go for the enemy weakness. So like there's there's good the AI is good, and because mm -hmm. it's the the turn based ATB is so fast that I, I I probably would go cross eyed or get a seizure if I really had to control all three people and the combat stayed this fast. But the problem is when you have a party of two and not three, you are so crippled because the like the the the, the three person synergy yeah. is so much better than a, than two people with an only with only two jobs active at once and because the game uh really really rewards staggering enemies basically like dealing enough elemental damage to them that they reach a vulnerable state like like getting the stagger fast and then pounding on them but then, and then uh, switching to medic if you need to heal or uh switching to sentinel if a big attack is coming and the sentinel needs to take the hit or, or setting up your buffs into buffs before you get a chain combo going. Like all of that feels great when it's going mm -hmm. well, but it's hard for it. It's hard for the 
combat system to really shine in a party of two. And you're a party of two for like five straight chapters. Maybe yeah, like, like it's, uh, it, it's, I hated yeah. it. And, and, and it, there was a sense of relief when uh, in chapter nine, where a, lo- a lot of chapter nine is uh, Saz and Vanille are captured and the other four party members, because Fang's joined by now, are uh, are chasing after them. As I was just glad to have to be to play this game as a as a trio again, um, because I, I got I was so frustrated whenever uh, uh, whenever they gave me a party of two. And that happens a lot. And also, you don't get to choose the makeup of your party until chapter until I, I think until the end of chapter nine for the bo- for the final boss. Um this game has 13 chapters unsurprisingly but but uh, you don't get to choose your actual party until the last leg of chapter 9 and so that freedom being taken away from me and the the i, I don't mind the ai elements of the combat system cuz i mean whatever i've played a, a, a terrifying amount of dragon age and i've played dragon quest 4 like 5 times i i I'm, I'm used to ai teammates sometimes i will i will choose ai teammates on my own volition for random battles if i if i know the ai is trustworthy I, and I do that for a lot of games, in fact. And and I pr- even I even I press the auto battle button a lot in this game for the character I do control. That's so, kind of the main way to do it because it's almost always going to fill with the correct attacks. Yeah, un- un- unless you you really unless you're like a synergist and you really want to get like your I don't know your elemental defense buff ahead of your haste buff. Although why would you? Because haste is like the best spell that Saz has. Um, mm-hmm. like, uh, like you, you can do things out of order for your main character, but most of the time auto battle will be the right decision or a good, at least a good decision. Um, for, I, I don't think it's very good for sentinels. Cause like a sentinel will just use provoke four times a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh but, but, uh, it's like but, you already have the aggro. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I understand people not liking to be able to control all, all three characters. I am mostly okay with that. I just don't like it that they took they take away so much party design freedom from the first nine chapters when party designing and character customizing is like one of my favorite things to do in a JRPG. It definitely, unfortunately, takes too long for that combat system to really open up and show its full potential. I do think it is an excellent combat system. Um, I think that it's fast paced. I like the I like the strategy of um, building up the enemy stagger gauge, figuring out what is the best um, path going forward, hitting the weaknesses, um, switching quickly, having those different party setups. It feels very satisfying. And I actually it's actually interesting because I'm doing a, a hard mode run of Final Fantasy VII Remake on the side while I'm playing this. And those games combat systems are more similar than I feel like people want to admit um the 13 really does feel like this is where a lot of the ideas for future final fantasy games start um and i find that interesting no i i agree there um there is ff13 dna in ff7 remake i i think that's i think that's undeniably true the same it's the same um lead writer um matoma toriyama is also heavily involved in seven remake but but also seven remake um to its credit uh you can replay a chapter easily after uh by um by choosing from a menu and uh and 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 there are town segments where you're in a, a a city or a town or something and there are side quests and activities to do in town and you can talk to people in town and the and the and the uh the the diegetic dialogue like the people talking around you is more present and more meaningful in ff7 remake where where they just don't have nearly enough of it in ff13 and i talked about this um a little bit on twitter myself but like um my favorite final fantasy is final fantasy 10 final fantasy 10 is also extremely linear it is pretty much a guided path through spira for the first chunk of the game but 
There are always people to talk to. There are always little side activities to do. And you can eventually go back to old areas. There's a ton of optional content in 10. 13, um, we'll get into probably in a future episode, but like all of 13's side contact is sequestered to one area in Endgame. Like it is a big area. There is side content to do in 13. And if you're looking to like max out your Crystarium and grind out your ultimate weapons and take on a couple super bosses, there is a lot of meat there to dig into, but it happens very late in the game. And unfortunately, that has the side effect of making Cocoon, the Cocoon environments feel really sterile. That's also something I noticed when I was looking around uh, for uh, for questions about, I was doing some research on this game to like to general things like what item do I need to upgrade uh, the, the Blaze Fire Saber, like, like stuff like that. Um, there's an enormous amount of guides on how to do end game farming and end game material hunting because uh, I think people wanted more out of this game and because it's so backloaded with late game side quests and late game optional bosses that uh, that it's like like people that are into FF13 go for the 100% trophies on it because it, and there's a lot of that but it's also backloaded and a little bit empty calories. And because, I mean, I mean, people are advocating for uh, for killing hundreds of adamantoises for a 1% drop, uh, which is a, a, a rare material for upgrading your, uh, for upgrading weapons called a, 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 I think it's a... Trep- I think it's trapezohedron, but I'm not 100% sure. You know, I, I think it's a trapezohedron, trapezohedron. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, you're, yeah I think you were right. But, um, so, so the, that's one weakness of it. Uh, but did you, did you, sorry, Audrey, did you want to get in there for a second? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying with the sterile comment, it just felt like Cocoon was empty in a lot of respects. Beyond the enemies, there's really nothing. You're, yeah, you're right. There isn't really much to interact with. They try to work in a couple weird one-off gimmicks. Like there's this one part of where you pilot a mech as hope. It lasts about two minutes and then never happens again. There's this weird weather changing mechanic in chapter six. Um... I don't know why it's there. You can do it. It doesn't really like. Yeah, you're you're turning rain on and off in one dungeon. So to to have you know like the strong monsters go here and the weak monsters go here, and we're only a party of two that can't fight strong monsters. It's a yeah. it's a sensible dungeon gimmick, but it's used for like 15 minutes and then you never see it again. And the dungeon yeah. is still basically a corridor. Uh, but so like this game lacks RPG pacing and structure. Because, like, again, it's maybe I said this before. I I feel like I'm playing Devil May Cry three, except the combat is Final Fantasy nine combat, uh, which is would be okay. Except Devil May Cry three also lets me replay old stages and re-explore things if I want to. (laughs) Devil May Cry three gives me more uh, character design freedom than FF thirteen, which is but like for it to be like mission structure. In but a mainline Final Fantasy game, and to have so oppressively linear stages, even more linear than FF10, is is it, I I have to consider it a knock. It's 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 just while FF13 is beautiful and the combat hits that platonic ideal of feeling fast paced while mostly being menu decisions and turn based. Like for everything it does well, it 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 has it has some frustrating parts to it. But let's go to the the rest of the story where where we're at. Um. Um, when uh, Lightning and Hope are traveling together, they uh, Hope 
a light lightning gives hope or her uh, a survival dagger that was a, a gift from from sarah to, and, to... I, and my anxiety just spikes through the room yeah. like no 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 do not give the baby a knife and then and, and he definitely wants to kill snow with it or at least stab snow with it because you know, again, again, again hope again, realistic character right and he wants to violently murder snow with a knife <laughs> But but as they travel together, like Hope, you can tell Hope really looks up to Lightning and wants to wants to be a cool, tough adult like she is. And and Saz and uh, Vanille traveling together. Saz tells Vanille about his uh, his son, a, uh, a a very adorable little boy named Dadge, who was uh, also turned into a uh, uh, a lassie, but by a but by a cocoonless uh, cocoon falsy and not a pulse yeah. falsy. Which means he's basically under like constant government watch. Um, yeah all the time and boy is there are there some connotations there yeah and in chapter eight uh vanille basically reveals that she and her best friend best friend uh fang oh um, my fang, god yeah, they were roommates yeah they, yeah they they were um they are from pulse they were involved in the pulse cocoon wars hundreds of years ago but after they completed their fo- their uh focus they were turned into crystal but then 13 days before the events of the game, they were released from their crystal forms um, and given a new focus, which is, again, the vision that you shared with Anima before, but they aren't totally sure what they need to do. And so indirectly, Vanille was trying to get, uh, at the beginning of the game, she was definitely trying to get back to the uh, back to the Falci there. I, I don't think she intended necessarily to bring snow, lightning, and hope all there and, and says there but it, no i think it, she's just looking either looking for fang or just trying to like figure out what the heck am i supposed to do now yeah i think she was looking for fang and and was and was open to gathering allies like like she wasn't specifically seeking out these other four people but she's like i need to i need to find people i can travel with and i need to find fang and and that's it just sort of happened that way but, but she feels uh, incredibly guilty about it yeah but but in but in chapter seven um and, and oh, there's a heartbreaking scene in chapter eight. Maybe one of my favorite scenes of the game. Uh, Dash confronts Saz and says, "Daddy, Daddy, I found you!" And turns to Crystal right before his eyes. And then a uh, a dominatrix librarian named but named uh, what's her name? Is, is oh it, boy, uh, Jill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> named, named named Jill Vanat, I think. Talk talk about wasting an awesome character's design on such a nothing. Yeah. Oh my God. She, like she 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 looks like Cocoon Bayonetta, but it is just <laughs> but it, but it, but it is just so useless. Um, it, like like she basically just taunts Saz. Uh, Vanille tearfully runs away when Saz realizes that uh that Vanille accidentally coming into contact with Dadge is what turned Dadge into a Lassie because one of the cocoon falci as a defense mechanism just turned the nearest human into a Lassie. You uh, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right. and and but but it turns out Dal's uh, Dadge's Lassie powers weren't you know magic and fighting ability like your friend like your friends. It's uh. It, it was the ability to detect other Lassie. And so, um, so Jill and the, uh, Sci and the Psycom agents were using Dadge to monitor your party and, uh, and, and, uh, decided that, you know, we have them, we have them where we want them now. So let's have Dadge turn into crystal in front of Saz, just so, just so Saz can torture himself psychologically. Saz almost shoots Vanille, but ultimately decided, and he had, and before had even talked about just turning himself in because he didn't want to live his life as a as a pulse lassie, but it it works out in the end. Um, they they uh they uh they defeat a monster together, but and then are captured. And chapter nine is the other four characters 
do we want do we want to get into um how chapter eight ends because like that might be one of the darkest like yeah single scenes i've ever seen in a final fantasy game yes yeah, Saz put tr- tr- possible trigger warnings for anybody listening to this yeah um, maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. minute or so yeah uh, uh trigger warnings for self-harm or worse yeah so, uh for for about a minute go ahead peter yeah so Saz, um in a moment of despair when he can't bring himself to shoot Vanille, points a gun to his own head and you only see it reflected in the shadows and then um, the camera cuts when you hear of the trigger being pulled. Um, You find out in Chapter 9, of course, that Saz did not shoot himself. He is in the party for the rest of the game. But still, talk about a bleak place to end that chapter because i was legitimately sitting there like oh my god they did not go there yeah and um, i'm backtracking a little bit in chapter seven um like hope and lightning finally reconnect with snow um snow makes a dramatic entrance on his motorcycle oh yeah we forgot let's um talk about, let's talk about summons yeah, summons and summons in this game are completely bonkers um uh, shiva love them. <laughs> shiva is now two ladies that turn into a motorcycle that uh that snow rides. Um, Odin turns into a noble robot steed that lightning rides, and um, uh, Saz, Saz's uh, summon is a Brunhilder. Uh, yeah, is, is uh, like is like a fire Valkyrie Brunhilder that turns into an F one car. Yeah, it's dope as heck. Um, and and basically in this game, Idolins are basically entities that show up to help Lassie complete their focus. But in order to do that, um, they have to test the Lassie's prowess first. So every time you encounter a summon, it's at a moment where a character is having an emotional crisis that they need to overcome. The boss, then you fight them as a boss, um, and the they're fun bosses. They're kind of gimmick fights because you have to like figure out what causes this little gauge to build up, um, and then repeat doing that action. Like for one of them, it's healing the party members. For one it, of them, yeah, it, attacks. It, 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 yeah, um, for the Shiva fight. Uh, uh, Snow has to block a bunch of attacks for the Odin fight. Lightning has to heal, um, uh, heal uh, uh, Hope a lot while while Hope builds an elemental chain combo. It's, it's a weird it's a weird attempt at um, storytelling through game mechanics that I'm not a hundred percent sure was like like I, it's not you know it's not particularly deep or anything, but I sort of appreciate the effort. I think they look cool. It's been like a little puzzle. Yeah, the, yeah, they're they're basically combat puzzles. And but but mostly the summons just look really really cool. I I, I wish there was more of them. And again, I'm at the beginning of chapter ten, and everyone I've, has one. Yeah, I I I figured everyone has one, but uh, I I've only encountered the three that we mentioned. So yeah, I'm going to tell you, I'm to tell you what the other ones are. Um, I know one of them is Bahamut. I I uh, I but I don't I don't know the other two. Okay. Um, but we I can I can I can discover it on my own. You'll, cool. you'll get you'll get you'll get there soon. Um, but yeah, I think the summons are seriously cool in this game. Um. That I like I like seeing the mechanical versions of like Final Fantasy mainstays, and I really like the whole the transforming gimmick is ridiculous, but in the best possible way. Yeah, no, it, it's over the top anime nonsense, but uh, I I mean I'm a I'm a Tales of and Disgaea fan. I love over the top anime nonsense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the, yeah, the summons are great. Um, using them in battles a little bit awkward because you have like they have like seven moves that you have to. That you have to enter the um, attacks in manually, like like a like like a, Sm- a Smash Brothers main character. It's like yeah, oh, it's like that, like up and and cross does this, but down and cross does this. Yeah, and then it's basically just um, basically just make sure you have enough at the end to do their big finisher attack. Right, is really the the trick to it. I um, I did them. I used them like once each, and then stopped the rest of the game because I I just mostly prefer fight doing fast 
uh, paradigm shifts in the middle of battle and like like yeah. like switching from yeah, that's kind of me. generally speaking, that's usually the best approach. It's just I, I think there are certain fights in Endgame where they want you to use specific summons um, to help you out, but yeah, for the most part, it's more like a flourish than really a necessary part of combat. But uh, anyway, back to the game a little bit. Uh, the chapter nine is mostly a dramatic rescue. I'm sorry to get ahead of you, but can we talk about chapter seven first? Oh, really okay, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Uh, yeah, so so most of chapter seven is uh, is uh, lightning and hope being hunted by Psycom uh, forces in Hope's hometown, Palamporum, which I think is probably a reference to the two characters from Final Fantasy IV. Yes, um, it is. And uh, yeah. and. And and when you're while being confronted, uh, Snow and Fang come in, and you the basically sometimes as two people, sometimes as three people, have to fight your way through the city. Uh, you you fight some motorbikes that can Gatling gun you, which is which is a death sentence unless you switch to Sentinel in time. Um, and uh, they basically Hope confronts Snow, almost stabs him, ultimately doesn't. Uh, Snow breaks down is the only and he's the only time only time in the in in the game so far where he's not his confident self when he realizes that hope was the uh the son of the woman that died uh, uh right next to him and uh, eventually your whole party reconvenes yeah, yeah reconvenes at hope's um childhood home with with his father present and the the way hope had been talking about his dad through the whole game made you made you think he was like a a, a cold distant man but but hope's dad is is a pretty good dad He's chill. Yeah, he's just yeah. He's just worried about his son, and he offers you guys sanctuary despite um despite knowing the danger to him. And you know, he's and he's. I think it's more typical hope being a teen. Yeah, hope's just being angsty. Um, I I really like the scene with him and Snow though. I like I like that Snow breaks the facade a little bit and kind of shows some vulnerability and really does make an honest effort to like you know what like hope 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 and him reconcile and it's a very sweet moment there are scenes of big drama in this game and chapters seven and eight are both really hugely dramatic Uh, there's another scene a little bit before the one with hope and snow where lightning basically where uh i think hope comments that uh that that fault that that the falsy that support the humans basically treat the humans like pets um and then lightning basically just almost snaps and says it's all pointless. Like what, what, what use is an ant fighting, a, uh, like fighting the, uh, fight, fighting the person that built the ant farm. But, and, and, and for a second, like, like it almost seems like lightning is giving up, but it then she like overwhelming Herculean task. Yeah. Yeah. She's just, she's just overwhelmed by the, by a realization of what they're up against. And, but, and then hopes like, so you're just going to give up and lightning basically responds like, no, I like, I have to keep fighting, but I, now I'm just, now, now I'm, I'm just understanding how impossible this is. And like, there are scenes of big drama, but sometimes they come out from left field so hard uh, or the pacing is so weird that I don't think they're always earned. Like, like sometimes like, like a big dramatic scene would happen and I just and I'm just sort of taken aback like, well, where did this come from? But like, like the, the plot seeds are there and the character motivations are there. But sometimes I, I just it, they just felt they just felt weird when when a character would have a, a, a wild emotional swing. Yeah. Chapter seven also introduces us to a, um, a minor character named Yag Rosh, who is like a SICOM commander. And I legitimately forgot this dude existed until last week when I was playing <laughs> this game. And I remembered this is real. I swear to God it is. 
it was one of those old EGM magazines that I was sourcing for my uh, my 13 article where it, because Yagarosh has a silver haircut and a sword, someone thought that he was going to be the next Sephiroth. And that comparison is so funny to me. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, because Yagarosh accomplishes nothing. He shows up. He ha- Again, it's a cool character design wasted on a nothing character. Because I will tell you straight up, he comes back once in Chapter 12 and also accomplishes nothing. The, the the lightning bird that you fight twice in chapter 10 has more impact than yag rosh yeah it's just like and, and that that's just one of those things where it's like maybe the maybe this game needed more time in the oven maybe these but yeah jill if nothing else jill the hot librarian lady is in 13-2's dlc as a coliseum fighter yag rosh has been forgotten to time completely yeah 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 jill is She's only like three scenes in the game, and she makes an impact, and then she immediately dies against uh, against uh, what's his name, Balanthus, Bar- Barthandalus, Barthandalus, right, right, Barthandalus. <laughs> My God, what a what, 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 what a villain ass name. Yeah, it's like there, there, there's no way Barthandalus is, is 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 like unrelated to royalty or evil. He's it's like he's either a king or the 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 biggest big bad you've ever heard. Oh but, yeah, he's he's Pope Francis. Yeah. Um, Barthandalus is the true identity of the ruler of Sanctum, which is again the ruling bottle, body of Cocoon, and uh, he transforms into a giant monster with a with like a big toothy face and armor with cannons on it. Yep, because it, turns out he's a Falci. Yeah, he's not a human that that's working for the Falci. He is an actual Falci, uh, and who who treats humans like like pawns at best and dirt and worms at worst. He he kills everyone in the room that he's in besides your party and absorbs them into him before attacking you and in, including Jill, I think, unless she kind of nightmarish, like, yes. holy crap. Yeah. Unless she comes back as a surprise later, but it, it looked like he murdered the whole room. Nope. She gone. Yeah. Nope. And, uh, that's her. Experience. And, and, and his boss fight is a little tricky. I, I, I died once and had to retune my, uh, my paradigms to go back after him because he, he just deals a lot of damage and you really have to time your heals and defenses right against him. But, uh, but but if you you know if if you have good ravagers and commandos you can knock him out of his big attack so, which I I did at least once mm-hmm. but it, and he has a, a huge amount of HP but it's yeah. a tough it's a tough fight but you can almost hear the developers going this is where the real Final Fantasy thirteen begins because it's this point onwards where you like you really have to be paying attention to your party comp and making sure that you're prepared going into boss fights generally I don't think this is a super easy RPG. Um, no, it's not. There are there are tricky boss fights and and not skippable ones that you have to figure out or uh, and and have some reflexes for even because like timing when you paradigm switch for the right comp is really important. And uh, I, I've died a couple times in random battles because they got um it got out of hand a little bit and uh, and you know I I took a, a giant explosion from a bomb or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, but the, the game's also very forgiving because they will you there's a retry function that allow you to they'll take you right back to before that battle happened and it mm-hmm. so, gives you an opportunity to run away and avoid it or or retune your party and go after it and yeah. um the sprinkling of save points is pretty generous like every every dungeon will have like four save points in it yeah really the only time that i ran into an issue was at the the, the giant airship boss at the end of chapter seven and that's only because it sends you back to the safe point but there are two mob groups of mobs you have to defeat before you can progress to the boss fight so unfortunately, there's no way around that. Those mobs just respawn and you have to fight them again. But um, that's really the only time in this game I've ever encountered something like that. For the most part, if you die, you just go right back into it. 
I, I think that the designers knew that this is a slightly intense version of an ATB battle system. So they made forgiving retries and save points j j just so like people wouldn't have their souls crushed by having to replay a quarter of a dungeon to get to the point that they missed. But yeah, um, totally. so, so again, like this game makes some really cool, well, it executes on some really cool concepts like these summons and this job system and some of the parts of the characters and some really baffling decisions like the like the linearity and other parts of the characters and the, and the total lack of city areas and i know that part of it was due to time constraints or um, or budget constraints but i mean this, still this is a big numbered final fantasy game so expectations are high mm -hmm. and while i'm enjoying myself i'm having a, i'm mostly having a good time especially when I get to level up everyone's skills after a couple thousand CP because it's like it is it is a very satisfying level up system. Oh I yeah, love, yeah, I love I love the Crystarium. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, the Crystarium. It's not that much different from a like a more linear sphere grid, but it's very stylish and uh, and when you do get a new skill, it feels important. So that's uh that that that, that that's important. That that's that that's great to have a skill system where learning a new skill feels like a feels like an event. And again, there's nothing I love more in this life than leveling up or opening a treasure chest. And, uh, and FF13 is pretty good at both of those. But uh, so I'm enjoying myself and I want to see how the story ends. But there are some caveats in this game. And, uh, and we've gone over a lot of them. And uh, I'm sure we'll have more thoughts when I get to the giant open area chapter, which, I, I, which is either chapter, chapter 11, 12, or both. It's 11. Uh, okay, it's 11. Got it. 12, 12 is Eden and then... Um... 13 and then thir thirteen, yeah, thirteen is 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 grand finale. That makes sense. Okay, so uh, I have not gotten any of those yet. I am I am like two or three save points into chapter ten. So I, but I know I'm going to be playing this game all weekend, and I'm determined to finish it in time for the next recording. But uh, Audra, you uh, have not beaten this game like I have. What's one idea or one hope you have? Not actual hope, a, a lowercase h hope. <laughs> well, what's one? expectation or, or idea you have for the second half of this game i'm just kind of looking forward to the open world that was the part that i stopped at was right when they got to that point and so i'm really looking forward to seeing how it differentiates from the rest of the game and uh, one more question before we um close down the shop uh, peter do you have a favorite party and or paradigm um I usually tend to have all of the girls in my party, so Lightning Fang and Vanille. Um, Vanille has a um, Fang is a good is a good um, Sentinel. Vanille has excellent debuffing, including later on in the game she gets access to the Death Spell, um, which can actually actually does work on some um, um, big enemies, which is really handy. And um, Lightning in general, I just, I like having the main character of most games in my party. And Lightning is just, Lightning's an S-tier design. I really like her. And, and Audra, same question. Do you have a favorite party and or favorite uh, job setup? Right now it's probably Fane and Lightning. And I'm guessing I'm probably going to either put Hope or Vanille in the party for the magic stats. Maybe Zaj because of the haste, but. Yeah, yeah. I haven't quite gotten to that part yet where I've can switch the characters. It, it's it's near the end of chapter nine is when that happens. For for me, um, I, I said this earlier. Uh, uh, Lightning and Fang are by far my two favorite characters. Lightning switches between Commando and Ravager. Uh, Fang is most of the time a Commando, but when I need defense, she's a very very good Sentinel, and she's also a pretty good uh, saboteur because she can slow enemies. And that third spot, 
most of the time, I almost hate to admit this, most of the time it's Hope. <laughs> because <laughs> Hope is a useful party member. Yeah, yeah, Hope is maybe the best Ravager in the game. He uh, he learns all the good uh, elemental spells. And he's the second best healer after Vanille and the second best booster after Saz. Uh, if he eventually learns haste, I probably wouldn't need Saz ever because I uh, because uh, like haste being such an awesome buff is why I use Saz sometimes, uh, and 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 used him for part of chapter ten. But but Vanille being a great healer and having good debuff spells that are different than Fangs make her really valuable. Also, um, I don't hate Snow. He's the best Sentinel in the game, but. Other than defense and HP, I think I think all the other characters are better than he is. Yeah, they do. They do try to make sure that, like, at least if you want, like, for specific fights, there's probably an ideal party setup. But you can, for the main game, you can probably get by with just picking the characters you like. Yeah, if it was just the characters I like, it would be Lightning Fang and Saz. But because I. I, I like I, I genuinely like buffing and debuffing in RPGs. Like that's it, kind of my play style a lot of the time. Like like a good physical character that can has that that can curse enemies and boost him and boost themselves. That's kind of like my favorite kind of thing, uh, kind of character. So, uh, yeah, yeah, like lightning and hope, absolutely top of the list. And then the third party member just depends on what I'm feeling. But mm-hmm. uh, most of the time, it's probably hope. Um, but uh, we like I, my expectations going forward. I want to see how the story ends. I want to see what kind of side quests they throw at me. I also want to see the last three summons. I I know that one of them is Bahamut, but other than that, I'm I am not sure what the other two are. I I have not. I've mostly avoided spoiling myself on Final Fantasy thirteen over the years. One, um, one of them one of them is neat. The other one is weird. I'll okay. leave it at that. <laughs> I, I I don't mind weird, but I am I am looking forward to the end of this game, and uh, it's it's it won't be a chore getting um like knocking out the second half i think especially since i uh i have a couple free days ahead of me and i think i'll be able to do it just fine but uh listeners i don't we don't know i don't know if you're an ff uh 13 newbie like me or an ff 13 hater like my friends on caves of narsh or an ff 13 enthusiast like uh like you know the game facts forum that i was checking to see you know uh how to upgrade the blaze fire saber uh but uh if you want to reach out to us the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com about past present or future episodes um and uh and thank you for listening but thank you peter and audra for joining me on this journey uh i i don't know if i ever would have played this game if not for the podcast so i have retro Encounter. encounters for i really like getting the chance to play it again i'm looking forward to the ending now so this podcast which has taken over a large portion of my life is both to thank and to blame for my current gaming situation <laughs> uh but uh, what's coming up next for retro encounter we're doing another final fantasy 13 episode next week to the surprise of nobody but then in september um we're gonna have an episode all about the 3ds because the 3ds shop is in the process of shutting down permanently uh, the 3ds is being phased out by nintendo and it was a great system with a lot of great rpgs and other games on it so we're gonna have a, a 3ds appreciation station uh in a couple of weeks and also uh peter you and i well all three of us talked before the podcast about doing an episode on the Final Fantasy Thirteen project in general, because uh, again, you wrote a, the- uh, a feature on it um, five years ago or so, and there was just that's just a fascinating story with a lot of games that was a def- that was a, a a definitive chapter in the Square Enix story. Uh, so uh, having an episode all about that, I feel, is definitely warranted around the same time we have these FF13 episodes. Yeah, looking forward to talking about those and more. Some of the, the spinoffs and side media for 13 is really interesting. And uh, it did eventually lead, I mean, we've talked at length about 15's whole weird development cycle. But that's an interesting story, too. 
So look forward to hearing about that. And also in uh, coming next month, we're doing two episodes on Live Alive. Uh, we going from a 2010 Square Enix RPG to a 1994 Square RPG. Uh, that game had a recent remake on the Wii, and I think pretty much everyone's going to be playing that remake. But we will be talking about some Square Enix perspectives and some Super Famicom nonsense in September. Uh, it'll be a nice change of pace from FF13. <laughs> but uh, um, RPG fan has uh, more than just um, podcasts about Square Enix games. You can also comment on our message boards, visit our Facebook page, RPG Fancom on Twitter. Uh, we have, There's Discord, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, something going on on all of those sites. Um, every day of the week, we have a dedicated team of streamers and social media people that manage all of that for us uh and more recently we have an rpg fan store if you go to rpgfan.com and finish and follow a link to the rpg fan store you can see a lot of rpg and merchandise on t public including shirts coffee mugs phone cases pins and all manner of other things with plans for more to be added at a later date uh i already have a shirt i'm not wearing it right now but it is in the rotation um <laughs> And speaking of rotations, on In Your Podcast Rotation, there's more than just uh, Retro Encounter. We have Random Encounter every two weeks about current events and randomness, and Rhythm Encounter every other other two weeks about RPG music. Please enjoy both of those podcasts as well as Retro Encounter on the podcast listening platform of your choice, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, PodCrunch, whatever. Uh, if you are able to give feedback on that on that service, please give feedback. Five out of five stars preferred. But if you want to give us five star ratings as individuals, not as a podcast, let's tell the listeners as a panel how to reach us, starting with you, Peter. As always, if you're looking to find my inane thoughts on just about anything, you can look me up at I Have Fury on Twitter. Um, you can email me, Peter T at RPGfan.com as well. Now, Audra. Audra B at RPGfan.com. And listeners, you can find me most easily on Twitter. I'm at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times, Monsoon Mike on the RPG Fan Discord, always willing to volunteer my opinions on the hottest Final Fantasy moms. Uh, so, all right. See. So from the top, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, right at the top is definitely. Well, you know, you know what? The less you know, what we're not going to go there. That is that is a different <laughs> podcast episode entirely. It's not uh, just this mom that we never meet. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was pretty interested in the 15 seconds that we see Garnet's mom in Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> Listeners, okay, the, now we've really got to end the podcast. Listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. Get me out of here. <laughs>